All right, we're in the Gospel of Mark. We're doing this series called New Testament Postcards, uh, a crazy idea where we're just going to cover uh, in, I don't know, a few minutes uh, the Gospel that is assigned for this particular Sunday. So next week we'll be in Luke, and the following week we'll be in the Gospel of John. So uh, this is not so much a buckle-your-seat type, type time because I realize that there is no way to actually adequately cover the Gospel of Mark in one sermon. Uh, but uh, I'm prideful enough to think I can do it, right? Um, but, it, but very simply, I want to cover just a few ideas with you about Mark's Gospel, and, uh, and then we'll enjoy the Lord's, Lord's Supper. Um, when I think about trying to figure out what it is that makes up the message of Jesus, um, in 50 words or less, or in just a, in, in a very tightly concluded synopsis, what is the message of Jesus? And I would encourage you to, to realize that you are making summaries all the time of sermons, of books you read, of conversations you have. We're always summarizing. And I want to encourage you uh, that may, someday you may actually be in a, a, maybe a, an elevator ride, a conversation in a, in a parking lot, and in some way you may have an opportunity to explain what Christianity is. Uh, I've had many moments like this in my life, and so these kinds of exercises are very, very important. People are watching, and people are asking, and people are looking, and they are aware that this uh, book, at least particularly in, in America, this book, if you stay in a hotel room, you might pull the drawer out, you might find it. Uh, this book is around, and churches are around, and this brings to memory uh, one PBS show that I saw years ago, and it was on something on the evangelical church. And a very large megachurch in Dallas uh, was, um, was the object of, of, of the scrutiny of the PBS documentary that was underway. And I can't imagine how intimidating it would be to suddenly have a bunch of cameras show up in here and, <laughs> and, and recording what's going on. But they... They captured this church on one particular day. And what they caught was a, a very nice gathering, a ladies' tea. And I remember it was just a very pleasant gathering, as what we would expect, and it was very nice. And the speaker up front was speaking in very pleasant tones about, about how women view themselves. And I remember the subject was on sort of self-esteem ideas. Okay? So the PBS documentary is covering this, this tea, right? On that same day, a ministry of that church was going on at a downtown Skid Row soup kitchen. And so the cameras go in, and they're before these individuals, these homeless and people in, in you know, trouble financially, or, before they can get their meal, they have to hear a, a sermon. And you could tell right away that it was... We're no longer at the women's tea. And the tone of the sermon, the whole demeanor, the whole subject matter was different. It was on God's judgment. And uh, it was all about being sinners before a holy God. True things in the Bible. And just in the, in the first ten minutes of this, of this documentary, you could see that this PBS camera crew and the documentary itself had exposed that this church had two different messages 
One was a pleasant sort of, you know, set, uh, concern about your well-being and, and, and how much God loves you and cares for you. And the other message was, well, we're not really sure, but we do know that God has, has intended judgment for you. And I say this because it is not easy for the church to get the message of Jesus right. It is not. And uh, I've been around long enough in the evangelical church to watch the trends and the ideas uh, come and go. And you, maybe some of you have as well. Or maybe you're here as a non-Christian. You're wondering, yeah, what, what is the message of Jesus about? Well, it is summarized in each of the Gospels. The Gospel, a Gospel is a, is a comes from a word that means good news. So the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are good news presentations about our real person who came to this earth. Uh, his name translates in English, Jesus Christ. And he is the Savior who is being presented in these Gospels. Now, each of the Gospels have a kind of personality about them. You can read Luke, and you can get a feel for, oh, this is interesting. This Luke kind of, you can get hit the the sense of Luke's personality in his gospel. And in fact, you can get this from, from all the books of the Bible in some way or another. The, the writer's personality is, is sort of helping to shape some of the tone of the book. Now in Mark, it's this very short gospel, only 16 chapters long. Uh, it's kind of like the, I don't know, the, the jogger's gospel. It's, it's quick. It moves, if you like short synopsis, you like things that are moving along quickly. Uh, you've got the right gospel in, in the gospel of Mark. In the gospel of Mark, the word immediately is used repeatedly. In fact, it's exhausting. If you read just chapter, Mar uh, chapter 1 in Mark, you're already tired by the end of it because he's moved so quickly. And the word immediately is happening repeatedly in his gospel. He wants to move quickly to... Jesus, revealing Jesus, Christ on the cross, and the purposes of Jesus' life. He moves quickly to that point. So Mark as a gospel is, uh, is the shortest gospel, and it really is covering two, two main ideas. And then I, I want one, one particular theme that, that is repeated throughout Mark's gospel. But really, the first main idea is that Jesus is revealed as Messiah, and that's verse, uh, chapters 1 through 8. Very quickly, you're going to see Jesus revealed as Messiah. Chapters 1, and, 1 through 3 really are all about his authority. He cleanses uh, uh, people from uh, demons. He, he deals with, uh, 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 he comes with authority over the spirits and comes with authority over darkness. He comes with authority in his teaching uh, and his miracles. This is highlighted in chapters 3 through 6. And then he speaks a lot about mission and the training of the disciples in chapters 6 through uh, 8. So chapters 1 through 8 really are about Jesus revealed as Messiah. And then, interesting, chapters uh, really 9 through 16 are the nature of Jesus' Messiahship. And what does it look like to follow him? What does it look like to, to be uh, in his kingdom? The way of discipleship is chapters 8, and, 8 through 10. He has conflict with the temple leaders in chapters 11 through 13. And then chapters 14 through 16, we're already done with Mark. Chapters 14 through 16 is really what's called the passion 
passion narratives when Christ is, uh, suffers, he goes through the, the, the trials, and he, and he, uh, he comes to the cross, dies, and, and, uh, and is buried, and then resur- is resurrected uh, in, the, in the last chapter of Mark, chapter 16. So Mark moves quite along uh, and has a great pace to it. It's the gospel that has the most relevant data. Uh, so it just moves right to sort of like Google sort of strip mines the Internet for what you want, gets right to it. Well, if you, if you like that, you'll like the, the, the gospel of Mark. And he makes it easy to listen to Jesus and to get to the right to the heart of Jesus' teachings and what, is it, what, does, it, what does it mean to, to understand who Jesus is. Now, what I've done today is I've thought about what text actually highlights the theme for the Gospel of Mark. And I think chapter 10 begins to introduce us to uh, Mark's core theme. And I think the theme of the book is really found in verse 45. You have your Bible there or in your worship folder, you'll find the scripture that Cynthia read. Uh, On page 10, I would encourage you to underline verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give, the key word give, to give his life as a ransom for many. This passage is, uh, is set up by a passage that's not there provided for you, but it's a passage just be right ahead of that in Mark, uh, in Mark 10, uh, above verse 35, Jesus is speaking about his approaching death. And he's mentioned it several times that they're going to go into Jerusalem and he will be turned over to the scribes and to, over to the, the Romans or the Gentiles and he will be killed. He mentions this repeatedly in Mark's, in Mark's gospel. And one of the strange things that happens is in the context, Jesus has just got through talking about his upcoming death and James and John, two of the disciples, uh, are listening in, and they start catching on that in the end, Jesus will, will enter into glory. And so they say, well, they say, hey, wouldn't this be great? Uh, we would like to know if we can have a secured seat. When you enter into glory, we want to be on your right hand and on your left hand. This is what they're thinking. This is what preoccupies their mind as they're walking along with Jesus. Th- this is how they're uh, assuming what, it, what, it, what it's all about to be a disciple. And, of course, they really mess, they, they miss the, the major purpose of Jesus' life. Um, and that is to give and to give and to give and to give his, his life away and not to be thinking in terms of glory. And so what, what Jesus does is he responds to them and he says a great principle throughout Scripture. In this fallen world as believers, here's the principle. Suffering precedes glory. We suffer unto glory. And suffering is what the Mark, Mark's gospel is preparing his disciples to enter into. Suffering to glory. The whole book of Hebrews has this theme, suffering to glory. You might be familiar with the, the, the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Joseph starts in a very humble place at the, the very low, low parts of, of Egyptian society. He's a slave, and then he rises to glory, right? That's suffering to glory. That's a, that's a theme in the Bible. 
And Jesus assures them that they really don't know what they're asking for. But he also affirms to them that they will, in fact, suffer. And we know from church history that the apostles suffered martyrdom. Jesus speaks about his upcoming suffering, and the disciples are thinking about their place in glory. And this highlights one of the themes in Mark's gospel, and that is that almost no one really understands Jesus. And those who do are surprising uh, in who they are. They are the, we, we, don't, we don't really think that they will catch on, and I'm going to explain who those people are. But those who seem to understand who Jesus is um, are those that we may not expect uh, that they would be those people. Mark's gospel is about getting the message right about Jesus, and it is found in verse 45. He draws you in. He is going to serve. He's going to give his life away, and you are going to watch this. As you read his Mark's gospel, you're going to watch Jesus give himself away, and he draws you in. Who understands his purposes? Who gets the message of Jesus? Then this leads to a beautiful picture that I think illustrates the kind of servant that Jesus uh, was in this life. And it's the healing of the blind beggar whose name is Bartimaeus. And it's captured for us there in verse 46 and following. He must have been a person who was well known, and perhaps he had his own spot on the road to uh, Jerusalem. They're actually... Uh, heading, the text tells us they're heading to Jericho, but we know they're, en- they're heading ultimately to Jerusalem. And he's alongside the road, and his name is Bartimaeus. He is a blind beggar. Imagine that. Think about that. He cannot see, and he cannot make, he does has no way of making a living for himself. He, all his life, he has been dependent upon other people. Having lived in Southeast Asia, I have seen blind beggars. And uh, you are caught up with how desperate they are in life. Your heart is moved with compassion. There are different kinds of beggars you may come across, and all of them uh, deserve our charity and mercy. But uh, a blind beggar is, 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 uh, is just something that just is... is gut-wrenching to observe and to be around. And no doubt he had been crying for a long time, learning, learning the hardness of people's hearts and unable to do anything about his condition. And this text tells us that Jesus was coming by and he, he heard that Christ was coming by and then he says these words, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And notice the the crowd's response. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And then Christ, in verse 49, calls him to himself. And the miracle will take place where Jesus has compassion on him. This is the last, in Mark's gospel, this is the last recorded 
uh, miracle outside of, uh, of Jerusalem. It's the last recorded encounter with an individual outside of Jerusalem. And I think it depicts uh, the beautiful compassion and the beautiful serving love of Jesus. As he cries out, Son of David, this, this man is aware that the culmination of all that had been promised about the final David who would arrive, that moment had, a, had come, that this miracle worker, this Messiah, must be the fulfillment of all the Old Testament's anticipation. He cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And in the end, the Gospel of Mark depicts for us the mercy of God. The mercy of God. His condition cannot be solved. He cannot heal himself. And he is fully dependent upon the mercy of God. There's nothing that separates us from him. Everyone born in Adam needs the mercy of God. We need to embrace our misery in Adam and begin to cry out. It's interesting as you read the Gospel of Mark, it's be, it, the speed of it, the, it's, it's got a movement to it, and, and uh, it, it can sort of pass you by. It can sort of, when you're, when you're reading it, and you realize that this story is, is something that I might just miss. Jesus is moving along, and he has compassion on those who, who know their condition. There's not a lot of parables in the, in the book of Mark, and the one key parable is the parable of the sower and the seed, which concludes um, about, teaches how the word of God is effective in lives, and the great danger presented in the parable of the sower and the seed is that rejection of the kingdom comes because the heart is closed, and the heart is hard, like the hard soil where the seed cannot sprout. It's interesting, as, as any of the Gospels unfold, you really do have sort of the tax collectors and the religious types. The tax collectors are broken by their sin. They're, they're, they, they can't change their condition. They can't, uh, they, they can't atone for their sins. The blind beggar can't change his condition. And then there are those who, who know better and are prideful and religious. Anyone who cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me, Christ will have compassion on them. He's desperate and he needs a miracle worker. But really he fulfills what a normal human being should be living like. He's living out his design what I mean by this is that you might just conclude, well, someone who's desperate, sure, if a miracle worker walks by, you would cry out for a miracle. But really what he's saying is, I need my hope in God realized. God has always been designed to be the hope of a human being. Psalm 65.5 says, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth. God has always been designed to be the center of our lives and the hope of our lives. So the blind man rightly identifies Jesus as his hope. Jesus now is going to put into, into action Mark 10.45. He's serving and he's 
He's giving, and ultimately he gives his life away in order to redeem. Mark's gospel is pressing in upon us. Do I understand Jesus? Do I rightly identify Jesus? Do I see him, perceive him? Where do I really place my hope? He is on a mission. Are you joining him in this mission? Mark 10, 52, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And it's interesting is that Bartimaeus follows him. End of verse 52, it says, and he followed him on the way. That's another theme in Mark's gospel, the way. It starts right away when John the baptizer is using uh, Isaiah's promise, uh, make straight the, the way of the Lord. Remember that promise from Isaiah 40? That was his main message, make straight the way of the Lord. Jesus used the phrase the way often in his teaching. It is the way. Who follows Jesus on the way? It's interesting, those who Jesus collects along the way. Um, a demon-possessed person uh, is re- relieved of these of demons in Matthew five, uh, Mark five twenty, a woman of mixed race, a, a, Syro, a, a Syrophoenician woman, a, a woman who's not not Jewish, uh, she comes in Mark seven twenty nine. Then a blind Bartimaeus, Mark ten, and an anonymous woman anoints Jesus in, at Bethany, Mark fourteen, and then a Roman centurion, a, a Gentile, he's actually the one who gets it right. He says, "This is the Son of God," as Christ is being crucified on on the cross, and and as he breathes his last. A Roman is the the one who correctly identifies and says, this truly was the Son of God. So who does he he collect along the way? Who joined him on on the way? Who who confessed Christ along the way? It's, It's the unlikely. So what's it like to receive the mercy of God? Well, first of all, you may think to yourself, it couldn't be me, and you may think that you're disqualified, some, something about you. It's not true. Or maybe you sort of dismiss the, the message of Jesus, and you're in danger of having a hard heart, and the way will pass you by, and you will not join Jesus. But for us, as we think about this, as those who believe what we're really acknowledging is that we need this love desperately and we need the hope that is embodied in Mark's gospel desperately. He came from heaven to earth and he moved through this world as a servant. He served the Father at the Father's will at creation and he serves the Father's will in redemption and in recreation. When you hear the gospel proclaim the good news, there should be a sense that he is moving and he is active and he is real in the moment. It is a real moment when you hear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and that he is moving and history is moving and your story needs to intersect with his story. And God intends in the gospel proclamation that the poor and the blind and the lame And those who may feel disenfranchised can come close and be embraced by this Jesus. Mark has a gospel 
for the nations. Dietrich Bonhoeffer summarized the servanthood of Jesus and the call for us to be servants in the subject or discussion about discipleship. And in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he echoes really the theme of the Gospel of Mark. And let me close with these words, and and then Nathaniel will prepare us for the Lord's table. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Happy are the simple followers of Jesus Christ who have been overcome by his grace and are able to sing the praises of the all-sufficient grace of Christ with humbleness of heart. Happy are they who know that discipleship simply means the life which springs from grace. And that grace simply means discipleship. Mark's gospel bids us to join Jesus in serving God's purposes in this world and that we would give away what we have received. Let's join him and let's pray. Lord, it's a humbling thing to receive mercy. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a beautiful thing. It is something we are desperate for, but we live as though we don't need it. Convince us, Lord, as we take the Lord's Supper today that we are all born in Adam and all equally desperate for your mercy. Son of David, have mercy on us. Revive us, renew us, and help us to give away the love that we've received. Thank you for this opportunity to have heard your word. Bless now our fellowship around the table. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.